Yeah, what's going on, family? Welcome back to another week and another episode of Unscripted. I'm your host, Akeem Haynes. Before I introduce my special guest this week, man, I just want to say thank you to you, our listeners. You see, we have reached a milestone in downloads and plays this week, and we wouldn't have gotten those marks if it wasn't for you. So I want to thank each and every single one of you for tuning each week to listen to the podcast, for supporting the podcast, whether you're just downloading, listening, whether you're sharing with a friend, or if you have left a rating or review of the podcast, it goes a long way. And we do this for you. When we started the podcast, we not only wanted to tell inspiring stories and get their mindset and their philosophies, but we wanted to create a platform for more than just positivity, but encouragement, information, and among many other things. And so I just want to say thank you. And we will continue to provide and to give good quality content. We have so much more to go. Many great conversations in the works that will soon come your way. So I just want to say thank you again for all of your support. It truly means a lot. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode and let me introduce my special guest. My guest this week is a person who is going to be inducted in the CFL Hall of Fame in August. But he's a Hall of Famer nonetheless, first ballot. My guest this week is CFL Hall of Fame receiver Nick Lewis. Nick Lewis is a former professional Canadian football slotback who played 15 years in the Canadian Football League. He is a two-time Grey Cup champion, winning in 2008 and 2014 with the Calgary Stampeders. In his first season, he won the CFL Rookie of the Year Award, followed by five West Division All-Star and three CFL All-Star Awards. He is second all-time as a Stampeder. First and foremost, Calgary Stampeders, Calgary fans, stand up. He is second all-time as a Stampeder in receptions with 805, receiving yards with 11,250, and touchdown catches with 65 behind Allen Pitts. He also has the club record for consecutive games with the reception with 166. Man, that's crazy. On August 24th, 2017, Lewis became the CFL all-time leader in receptions with 1,051 catches. Now retired from his sporting career, Nick is the CEO of AO Sports TV, which is an athlete-owned creative platform that brings back the power to athletes to create their content and make a direct profit for their work. In this episode, we discuss the ups and downs in his career, lessons he learned from those around him growing up, his approach to creating a winning mindset, what it felt like to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, and so much more. He shares so much wisdom in one, and for um, young athletes coming up, even professionals right now, and for many of us, he shares so many great things that we can apply to our lives to this day. So without further ado, enjoy this week's episode with Nick Lewis. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we go, if you would like to support the podcast, there are two ways you can do it. The first way is to head over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a rating and review of the podcast. Just go ahead and just go ahead and do us both. Give us that five-star review. We appreciate you. The second way is a small donation to the podcast through PayPal or by joining our Patreon. All donations go towards better sounding microphones, other essential items to create content for you, our listeners. And you can find the links to all of that in the show notes. So I want to thank you in advance those that take the time to do either or of those things. We appreciate you. Let's get into the episode. Hello. Nick, what's going on, man? Not much. How's it going? Uh, not too bad, man. Uh, which part of, this, uh, of the city are you in? I'm in Regina. Oh, okay, okay, okay. How's the weather out there? It's good. It's good. Sunny today, so... That's a good part. I'll be yeah. heading home to Texas pretty soon. Oh, man, that's going to be real nice, man. I know it's, the weather's always nice down there, man. But, uh, man, it's a pleasure to have you on, bro. I'm appreciative of your time, man. Uh, before we get going, man, I want to get your thoughts on last year. You know, the pandemic affected everyone differently in different ways. I mean, we're still navigating through it. But from a, from a mental standpoint, um, 
how did it affect you, man? What were some things that helped uh, helped you stay motivated day to day? And then give me a positive uh, from 2020. Oh, man, I think, um, well, one, I, uh, going into 2020, I really just attacked, um, changed the mindset to, you know, everybody starts a new year out with a resolution. Instead of starting out with a resolution, I changed my mindset to this uh, this thing called New Year, New Mountain, mm. right? And it was more of a, I don't know what the terrain's going to be. I don't know what the weather's going to be. I just know it's going to be hard as hell to climb this mountain. <laughs> but if I can do that, by the end of the year, I'll be at a different level in my life and I'll see another mountain to attack, right? So um, it's more about the mindset of attacking and not just the results, right? I think we all look at the results. Like I want to lose 30 pounds. So you're looking at the 30 pounds. You don't look at every pound in between, or you don't look at everything it takes to get there. You're just looking at the result. And when you don't always get to your result, you get, you get disappointed or most of the time what happens is people lose weight. Yeah. And they'll lose the first 10 easy. Yeah. Then it gets harder. Mm -hmm. Plateau. Oh, I only lost one pound this week. Only only lost half a pound. Oh, I gained a pound, right? And then it becomes harder to reach that result because of everything in between. So I just changed my mindset of don't worry about the results. You know, put the work in, the results will happen. And then when, when you know, when the pandemic hit, I was already in the right mindset to, to attack it and face it. And I was like, it's planting season, right? So everything that I plant now is going to, to come out you know, you can't plant a seed one day and, and hope that it grows the next. Like you, you know, it's going to be an evolution of time. So for me, it was really about planting seeds and, and getting things do going that when we come up out of it, I come out better. Yeah. Man, that, uh, that perspective, man, I think, I think that's the one thing that we all have, right. You know, perspective, being able to see something as a positive or a negative or a transition, but all in all, man, how we perceive it is based on our mentality going in, man. But man, I want to start here, man. Uh, you said you're going back to Texas. Now, as I was doing a little research, man, I saw that you're from Mineral Wells, Texas, right? Well, originally from Jacksboro, Texas, uh, I was born, and no one says, where are you born? I was born in Mineral Wells, but I never lived there. I, was li I lived in Jacksboro. So I've probably been young. I probably just should have just said Jacksonville, Texas, because that's where I'm from. But, you know, What's I was born the, there because Jacksonville didn't have a hospital at that time. Or they had a hospital, but they didn't deliver babies at the time that I was born there. Ah, uh, what's the uh, what's the population there? Uh, Jacksonville is 4,000, 4,500 people. 4,500? Yeah, small. Small town. Parsons like <laughs> It's funny you say that, man, because when when I came from uh, Jamaica to Canada, uh, I first made a stop in Yellowknife and there was about 17,000 people there. But, you know, from where you just said 4,500, man. So I'm assuming that with the small town, everybody kind of knows each other around the city. What uh, what was growing up like for you, man? Was the neighborhood watching over you or were you making moves? And, 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 and what was that experience like? Yeah, so our, our neighborhood was called the Flats. We still live on, it's still a dirt road in my hometown. Um, it's one of the very few dirt roads inside the home, inside the city or the town. Uh, but it was called the Flats, man. That's where most of the black people live. And it was just, that's the way it was, right? From, from generation after generation, and, you know, in those small towns. But it was, uh, growing up was, it was, uh, it was kind of different. Like you would see, you know, our, our population is probably growing up was probably about 95 to 96 percent uh, Caucasian or white. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of different other ethnic ethnicities. There was a couple um, more Hispanics came in over time, but the, the black population was probably still no more than 100 people out of the 45,000. Right. So. You're you're in a situation we only had in the high school when I was there. We only had uh, four black people in the high school. Man, so it was me, my sister, my cousin, and another dude that was had moved in town because his mom was dating one of my cousins' uh, dad. <laughs> right, so it was 
it was uh it was like that so there wasn't wasn't a lot of diversity and yeah so it was it was just different man with being man again every 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 black person you knew inside the school was like family did yeah. did you ever feel, did you ever feel like you were being watched man like cuz i know texas texas is historic in many different things man but as only one, as one of four people there man did you ever feel I mean, it was pretty easy to stand out. What was going through high school like in that mindset? Because I'm assuming once you got to playing sports, your name kind of, you know, kind of got out there a little bit, maybe. Yeah. So there was a town, you know, 30 minutes from where I grew up that they used to have a billboard that said, don't let the sun set on your black ass. We used to play them in sports, Whoa. basketball and football. Yeah. So it was, it's one of those things, man, that, and, and you hear about the KKK beans every Wednesday night and things like that. Um. But those are just different things that you go through, you know, when you're playing, when you're playing mostly white teams or all white teams and, you know, somebody's going to say the N word or somebody's going to throw something out uh, when you're doing something really well to try to get to you or whatever the case is going to be on that. But honestly, man, my hometown, um, you know, always it's racism and and prejudice is, is such a huge topic, especially today. But when you look at really what what it is, is that I always feel like racism is when you hold someone back because of their race, mm-hmm. right? Just like sexism. If I'm holding you back because of your your sex, like this is this is where I felt like I was never held back. Like in in my hometown, I felt like everybody, um, you know, my grandparents have great legacies in my hometown, and and um, that's what I was raised with. So just going through that whole situation with them and being there and everybody thought so highly of them, it, it made everything a lot easier. And plus when you do play sports, like you're, you're always in sports as when you grow up, that's the only thing you're going to do. You play soccer, basketball, baseball, uh, football, you play everything and then you just go. And, but then when you get to middle school and high school, you start playing for the team. You start wanting to play on Friday nights. So, our football was kind of like our fraternity, right? So football was like a little fraternity. So everybody was cool. All the parents were cool. Everything was great uh, as far as that goes. I mean, I wouldn't say they wanted you to date their daughter, but <laughs> they they were, you know, they never held me back and they always supported me and, and still to do to this day. Man, before we get into the sports side of things, man, I want to go back to what you just said, man, your grandparents – you know, I think I think our family members uh, can teach us a lot of invaluable lessons without actually teaching us, or sometimes they do. What were some things that that stuck out to you that you learned from your grandparents or your mom or a family member that kind of uh, that you carried with you going into, um, you know, your high school adolescent years, man? I think my granddad just always taught me it's okay to be by yourself. Um, it's okay to blaze your own path. And, and he's, he always said, friends get you in trouble. Hmm. Right. So understanding that, you know, it's okay not to go along with the crowd. Like, don't feel like you ever have to be a part of something. Like it's okay. You know, and, you know, my grandmother was at every, every game, you know, from basketball to football, baseball, like growing up and in high school, she's at every game. My mother was at every game, you know, so having all these all these people that's influential in your life you know it's just it just sets you in a a different path it's hard to make it on your own and it's very very hard to make it on your own so to have people that that you can count on that support you right and you know the biggest thing for me was i just seen the influence my granddad had over people right he was just such a great person like it didn't matter what happened he was always willing to help anybody he didn't, he didn't need a thank you. He didn't need you to pay him. He didn't need any, like, he was just a generally great person. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, and that's what instilled in me um, the most is just seeing him, how he carried himself, how he moved. And, and that was motivating to me. And, and I've, I've always wanted to do the same and be the same as him because he, he just moved so well through life. Man when you first started playing football, right, you know, 
people always say sometimes when you do something or whatever it is that you touch, they say, man, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I knew this is something that, uh, that could change my life and impact it in the future. And whatever reason, maybe they know at the beginning, maybe they don't, but it's something that they feel. Um, when you started playing football, man, one, how did you get into it? And when you started playing, did you, what did you feel from it? Was this something that said, man, I think I can do something here? Well, I got into it. My friend, my best friend from, from elementary, uh, he played during our third grade year. Uh, our hometown didn't have a team, but a town like the next town over was like 15 minutes away, way smaller than us. They only had like 500 people. They had a football <laughs> team. I'm like, how do they got a football team? Right? Yeah, we didn't have we people football in our hometown. Um, but we used to play in Mineral Wells. They used to play in Mineral Wells. So they were like halfway between uh, Mineral Wells and Jacksboro. So that was about 30 minute difference. They're about 15 minutes away. And um, so every weekend we were driving there. So when he started playing and he started telling me all these stories about playing fourth grade year, I was like, hey, grandparents, I want to play football. So then I started playing football. And uh, like my dad tells it, I was scared of everybody. I was really small, but I would outrun people. He said, you know, you're supposed to run at the middle. I'd run around the outside and just outrun people, score touchdowns. I was scoring mm -hmm. four or five touchdowns a game. Uh, I was having a blast. But as I got older, I hated football. <laughs> like it wasn't football wasn't fun for me. It was like, um, especially in Texas. Like you think, you know, you have two a days. Uh, you think about the Texas grind. Two a days in August. It's 110 degrees outside. Yeah. It's 90 percent humidity. You have these pads. You're in full pads every day. You're in a helmet, and you're out there for three, four, five hours. This is not. Not like today where you, you get to go out there in shorts and a T-shirt with a helmet on half the time. Like every day you had on full pads. Uh, we only had 23 players on, uh, you know, about 23 to 25 players on the team. So like our freshman team played JV. We didn't have a freshman team. We played um, everybody that wasn't on varsity, basically. So you play both sides of the ball. So half practice, you're on offense, half practice, you're on defense. And – you know, those were just the the ways that I grew up because you just get used to doing everything and um, it's incredibly hot. So I, I did not like football at all. I, I love basketball. My, you know, my uh, my my high school head coach, uh, Coach Walker, you know, he um, he told me he was like, look, you're not playing basketball. He was the school athletic director. He's like, you're not playing basketball. You don't play football. As a freshman, I said, you know what? I'm not playing football. He says, well, you're not playing basketball if you don't play football. So that's the only reason I played football. And it was actually pretty cool when I got to call him about the Hall of Fame and tell him, like, you know. And um, I hadn't talked to him in, in quite a while. And uh, to be able to call him out of the blue and talk to him and, and just tell him the news, you know, he was super ecstatic about it. Wow, man. I want to. I want to keep that thought right there, but I want to go here real quick, man. I also read that you used to do triple jump. Yes, yes, I was a triple jumper. I hated track too. You know, when you, <laughs> like if you're not fast, like why do you like track? Like I, I ran a ten, I ran a ten eight split on the hundred, right on on a four by one. But you know that's probably about eleven one, eleven two, and a hundred. I mean, it's not slow, you know, comparative. But when you run track, that's pretty slow. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you're not you're not out here and. Like, how do you have fun competing at something that if somebody's faster than you, like if somebody goes out there and runs a 10-7 and I yeah. run 11 flat, like that's a year's worth of work for me to try to catch him, if not more. Man. Right? I, so how can track be fun <laughs> if you're just, if you're not fast? So I didn't like track, man, but uh, triple jump was cool because I, I, I was able to jump. I've always been able to jump, so that was cool. Man, I want to go back. I want to go back to the thought where you said, you know, you 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 know, he kind of forced you to play football, but you didn't really want to. I know for me, I wanted to play football. But I didn't want to run track, and my teacher was just like, "Man, you know, Keem, if you run track and field, you get faster for football." And so, yeah. because I just couldn't understand again, like you said, because I was just like, "Man, track seems to be every other sport's punishment." Right. You got to run every single day. I'm just like, man, I don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. But then I got into it and I got faster and I got faster. But initially, I didn't really want to do it, man. So how did you keep yourself motivated to play a sport that you didn't really want to do? Well, um, 
you know, everybody, I think all kids need track. Um, it's, it's the means to an end. It sucks, uh, but you need it. it. One, it helps you get faster and it helps you to learn how to run and, and things like that. But, you know, ultimately, game day was great. I'll always love game day. Like when you when you put me in game day, it's great. You know, when when I was when I was a freshman in high school or even my sophomore year, we got a new basketball coach my sophomore year. I was supposed to be on varsity to start. I was supposed to play on varsity. So the high level uh, my sophomore year, my 10th grade year, we get a new basketball coach. He comes in and, you know, a small school, you like uh, I'm riding the bikes. I'm seeing him put his stuff in his office. But, you know, small schools, every coach is coach football, then basketball and everything. So, you know, coaches kind of – you don't have abundance of coaches. And he was there coaching football. And I remember one day we ran um, – what do you, I can't even remember what it's called, but you run – you start on the goal line, you run down the goal line, up five, down that, up five. And it's, it's like a snake. Well, no, it's like a snake. Yeah, so you, if you start on the goal line on one sideline, you run to the other sideline, go up five yards come back down that line, go up five yards, all the way down the field. So you're That's going back and forth, up five, all the way down the field. Well, I'm back with the O-line. I'm <laughs> jogging. I'm back here with the O-line. He's like, you're not going to be on varsity playing like that or running like that. And I'm just thinking, man, this is crazy. Like, this dude is really judging me off of running out here. Mm. But once again, it's in the heat. It's all this other stuff. But – yeah, when you but once you get to game day, I've always enjoyed game day. I've always loved competing, and and game day is just such a different level for me. Um, I just hated the practice. I hated uh, the art of working in the heat and all that outside uh, just to get the game day. But once you got the game day, I was okay. Yeah, man. I mean that Texas heat is a little different, man. You probably lost about seven, eight pounds of practice. You know what I'm saying? So it's different. Yeah. But um, yeah, man. So you went to Southern Arkansas, right? Yes, sir. What What was that recruiting process like, man? Because I think um, I know here in Canada it's a little it's a little different. But down there, man, you're from the state of Texas. You know, that's a big state. People are always watching, man. But what 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 was that process like for you? Were you were you heavily recruited? What was that situation like? No, like speaking of, you know, just talking about my coach and, and the whole situation, I actually went, my high school football coach before my senior year asked me to write down the top 10 schools I wanted to go to to play football. Um, I gave him a list of no one, right? Huh. So I was still on the basketball thing. I uh, thought I could still go play basketball. Um, I got some letters from football like North Texas, Georgia Tech, uh, some of the bigger schools and, and things like that. But it was just letters. You know, a lot of kids get letters. It wasn't anything uh, outside of that pretty much. But it was just one of those things where I was still – my mindset was on on basketball. And, um, fortunately, I got, I got to play in a football all-star game. But before that happened, uh, my dad got my uh, – he got someone to do a highlight film for me and send it out. Um, he sent it out to a bunch of colleges. Southern Arkansas is one of the colleges that responded. I played quarterback my senior year. So oh, wow. they wanted me to they, – they ran the option, and they wanted me to come in and be a quarterback. Um, but we went – me and my dad went on a visit to Southern Arkansas, uh, met Coach Halfley, the receiver coach there at the time, and we we walked around. And you know what? I was like, I like it. It's it's small. It's It's good. I'm okay with it. And then I go play in this all-star game and I end up getting MVP. I had 185 yards and three touchdowns wow. and, and got MVP of a high school football all-star game. And I got um, the coaching staff. There was a junior college coaching staff and they were basically just saying, look, come to our junior college. It's free. We're going to pay you to come to our junior college for free for two years. And then you'll be able to go anywhere you want to go in the nation. Uh, they were one of the top junior colleges at the time, Navarro Junior College. And, uh, I, you know, I've always been a, thought of myself as a loyalist. And, and I was like, well, I've already told Southern Arkansas was coming. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and go to Southern Arkansas. And uh, went on and walked on to Southern Arkansas. And, uh, yeah, first day I was the last quarterback on the list. And I said, hey, coach, I'm a receiver. I'm not a quarterback. And uh, he says, well, if you want to go, go ahead and go. 
and I moved over and became the 12th receiver on the list um, and worked my way up to fourth uh, by the end of training camp. So that's what it was, man. I, I, I'm a Division two walk-on. No, you know, partly because probably myself, my coach, I didn't give my coach nothing to work with. Uh, but, you know, I, I grinded and I fell in love, truly fell in love with competition um, at Southern Arkansas. I was competing every day to get a job. Because in high school, small town, and you're a better athlete, you don't have to really compete for a job. Yeah. You know you're going to be one of the better ones. Like in basketball, I know I'm going to be one of the top five players on the team. In football, I know I'm going to be one of the top ten players on the team. Right? So it doesn't matter about being number one. You just know you're one of them. But then when I got to college and I was number 12, and I was like, okay, I got to beat out, you know, nine other people. Well, let's go. And that's what I did. Man, do you <laughs> – I want to say it again, man, because I don't. I want to make sure I heard it correctly. Did you say number two? You were twelve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they moved me there, I was twelfth on the depth chart. We ran the option, so there was only you know only four receivers traveled. So I knew I needed to be in the top four to travel as a freshman, and and that's where I got to. Nick, man, for 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 the athletes that are going to listen to this, man, uh, give me some practical tips that that helped you go from 12 to four because the reality is man you know not everyone is a star going into a certain position you there's you know you have to work you know you got to make sacrifices but a lot of that stuff happens from a mental standpoint right so like did you have a like a like a list that you were trying to cross off names and trying to go up to what was what what helped you get from 12 to four no i just i simply um you show me who the best is and i'll go compete and I'll raise my level to that, right? Mm. And that's how I've always been. It's like when I get there and I see the senior and the junior and I see them balling and I see I see what they're doing, you know. I see Mike Beck, the senior receiver who's super fast. He's the standard. He's number one. I see Jason Bennett, the sophomore behind him, and Dante Curry, the number three behind him, was a junior, right? I see how they all work. Then it's like, okay, this is where I got to get to. Right. That's the level I have to get to. And it's all through consistency. Like, I'm not going to go out here and just I can't. It's not about trying to make a great play. It's about being consistently good. And for me, you show me who the best are right there. And then I'm going to go out and achieve that. And I, I use the same mentality when I got to Calgary uh, around Albert Connell, Wayne McGarity, Salacio Sanford and all those guys. You show me the best. Now it's time to raise my level to that. Right. I just need to see it. I just need to see what that greatness is about. And then let me go get it. And then the same thing happened when I watched G Roy and Milt. I see what the greatness is about and let me go get it. Right. And that's all it is. Right. So you just have to be aware of your who's around you. And and I and I pay attention to everything that they're doing because if I'm competing with you, I want to know what you do really well. I don't know what you don't do really well. And I and I know that what I'm going to go out and do. I have to be better. It can't be even, right? And I think that's where a lot of people think is like, oh, well, I'm just a little bit better than this person. Well, you can't be just a little bit better than that person and and really succeed because they've been here or they might have favor um, in the coach's eyes or anything. So you got to go out and really prove it. Was there a game when you were at Southern Arkansas that stuck out for you, man? Was there a was there a game that 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 your coaches maybe kind of came over and said, "Man, hey, that was nice." What was your favorite game, man? Well, my my sophomore year, um, I was the number. It was funny. I, I got the fourth spot uh, for my freshman year, so I traveled. But the person who I beat out, Juan Bedoya, he was a he was a red. Uh, I mean, redshirted but he was also a scholarship guy. And now hmm. looking back, I realized the only reason I probably beat him out because it was really close was because they didn't want to waste a year of his eligibility. Hmm. They thought he was going to be better because when I got back my sophomore year, guess what? He was third on the depth chart and I'm fourth on the depth chart. And that's the moment it sunk in. Oh, I didn't beat him last year. Right. Hmm. It's like, Oh, they wanted to save him a year and not waste a year of his eligibility. But, you know, by the end of camp, I was I was number two on the depth chart. And and then the the number one guy, a couple uh, about three or four weeks in, blew out his ACL and I became the number one guy. 
and we went down and played the best corner um, in the in the conference. And I put up three touchdowns and caught a game winning uh, touchdown catch with like three seconds left on the clock on a fade route. And and after the game, the coach says, I think we found a playmaker. You know, my friends started laughing. They're like, man, we've been knowing Nick. And and it's like, oh, you're just now finding out. <laughs> and, you know, it's just one of those things that where that's the statement, right? You you want to go out and, and make a statement because once you get the opportunity when the lights come on to go out there and just play, because I had no catches my freshman year. I, I finished with no catches, uh, probably played in probably 20 plays the whole season. And, yeah, and then the sophomore year, it was like spot duty until – I become the number one. And then, yeah, in that last five or six games, I ran off over 600 yards and, and just made it work. Man, at this point when, you know, that game happened and things started to go a little bit, did you have any aspirations of NFL draft, CFL draft, or signing like any of that? Did any of that come into play? Did you think or believe that you could play at the next level? Oh, no. Like, come on, man. I'm a I'm a kid from a small town. I'm playing Division II football. Um, I understand. I almost transferred to North Texas one year. I almost transferred to Texas Tech where my dad went to college uh, one year uh, just to try to test myself, but I stayed. And it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, people would ask, you know, people after games, when I see year, people after games, like, I can't wait to see you play on TV next year. I can't wait to see you play on TV next year. And I'm looking at these people like they're crazy. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way, you know, my, my roommate one day at, at the cafeteria was talking about how he would smash Eddie George in the hole. Yeah. I'm like, said you cannot smash Eddie George in the <laughs> hole. Like this dude is a pro. Yeah. And we sitting here at a division two school, you know? And so I, just my mindset was I'm great at this level, but I didn't think that was going to translate over. And, you know, the day after our last game, I got calls from some agents. And then that's when it finally clicked, like, oh, man, other people do believe that I can do this. And and that's when it that's when everything started to happen. Man, I read somewhere uh, where it said um, you were expected to go in the fifth round by the Green Bay Packers. Right. Yeah. Um, but then it didn't happen. Then you got an invite to play arena football. And then, you know, the, <laughs> the price happened and you say $200 a week, right? And you said, you're not doing it, man. Um, but then your mom said something to you that day, man. What did she say? Man, she just told me, she's like, son, you're not done playing. You're going to play for a long time. She goes, God's already told me. And, you know, black mothers, they like, when they, you got to claim it. You know, that's the word. She's like, you got to claim it. I've already claimed it. God's already told me it's going to happen. And, you know, I went and did the workout to please her. And um, just just so happened that Calgary's new offensive coordinator was the head coach of this team the year before. And now the head coach there now was the OC uh, for that team the year before. So uh, I went and did the workout. They asked me to start that Saturday. And I was like, I got to work out for Calgary on Saturday. And uh, he was like, oh, well, our head coach from last year is now the OC there. So. You know, I believe he put in a call for me and and probably said some good words about me as well because it was Flipper Anderson, who's a former All-Pro NFL receiver. You know, going going back real quick, uh, you said you were going to transfer the North Texas, but then you didn't. Um, and then you used the word loyalty. And then your mom said, you know, you're going to finish this and, 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 and there's more for you. One person can say one thing, but it's another thing for you to believe what they said. Was that something um, that what your mom said, was that easy for you to believe? Like, did you really believe that, you know, what I'm saying that you weren't dumb because it's easy, right, for somebody to say it. But what made you actually go into it and believe it? Because you had the track record before, because people started calling you. Where does that belief come from for you, man? I, I think the belief came into the fact of, you know what, when I went down there to Arkansas to the Twisters for that workout, I was nervous. I hadn't worked out for a pro team before. I watched my cousin play arena football for, for seven or eight years, so I knew the arena game and the landscape and things. And 
Um, it was just one of those things. And I, I probably should have never said I wasn't going to do it. But it was just one of those, you know, when you're projected to go in the NFL draft and then you don't get into a camp when my agent was telling me, I guarantee you're going to get in the NFL camp, even if it's a free agent. And then when that doesn't happen and you're not hearing from your agent, like, oh, uh, well, and they call you about Arena 2 football team, you're like, so I'm going from a draft pick in the NFL to an Arena 2 football team. Mm-hmm. Like that just doesn't add up. Like you, there's got to be some steps in between this, or I gotta have made some mistakes or something that that makes me fall like that, right? And I hadn't done anything, so it just came down to that. Um, and yeah, so with my mother, I, I've never doubted my ability. Like I said, when I went to that workout, um, I thought I was gonna do a workout for them, but I ended up going through practice with them. They would just tell me the plays, tell me what I'm doing. Uh, I felt comfortable. I scored quite a few touchdowns in that practice. And yeah, like I said, at the end of the, the practice, he asked me to start that weekend. But um I told him about the workout. But <laughs> it was just it was just I, I've always been confident in my abilities. I remember at the workout for Calgary, at the end of the workout, I couldn't even finish it. I started cramping. It was a four hour workout. But I caught fifty out of I caught fifty one out of fifty three passes. Well wow. I didn't catch, I didn't touch. And it was it was something that I told John Jenkins at the end of it. I said, "All I need is a one way ticket." Wow! And I shook his hand. I said, "All you need to do is send me a one way ticket, and everything wow. else to take care of itself." Right? And I've always been sure of my abilities, and I've always been sure of my ability to go out and compete with people, even if I think you're better. Because if you give me time, you won't be better. Nick, walk me through your first year as a Calgary Stampeder because the football is different. The football is bigger. The size of the field is different. And I'm wondering, man, did you have a have a slight chip on your shoulder from the year before? Because, again, you said you were projected to be drafted and then it didn't happen and some other things happened. But did that give you a slight chip on your shoulder? No. What gave me the chip is I wanted to fit in. I, I mean – I'm a huge Longhorn fan. I'd watch Wayne McGarity play at Texas. I watched him play for the Saints and for the Cowboys. And when I looked at the roster and I see him on the roster and uh, even being at rookie camp with Victor, I, and I see these guys and my family's huge A&M fans and Albert Connell who put up a thousand yards in the NFL. And you see these type of players and it's like, I got to go compete. Right. But but for me, it was like, I need to show them I belong. And every day I went out to prove to them that I belong there. And just that mentality. And when we'd walk into a stadium, my mentality was everybody in the stadium needs to know who you are by the time this game is over. Right. Let's go make a statement. Let's go make everybody know who you are. And then let's go do that. And that was my mentality the whole time. And and I remember one day Wayne looked at AC and he looked at me and Salatio and he says, you know, he goes, Nick, you're, he goes, you're the best receiver I've seen straight out of college in a long time. Wow. And wow. when he told me that, that was validation of everything that I've been trying to do. And that's when I knew I belonged and I can just go flourish. Wow, man, because you came into the league doing work from the jump, man. You know, you know what I'm saying? You came into the league doing work from the jump. But in that locker room, man, because I know I know for me in my years in track and field, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of trash talk happening, man. There's a lot of staring. There's a lot of poker game is what I call it, because everybody's nervous. Everybody, you know, wants to win. Nobody wants to lose. But in that locker room, man, what what was it like for you as an approach of I have to make sure that I belong? man? What what was that look like leading up to it? Because everything isn't dependent on you. There's other people that got to do their part too. But did you put pressure on yourself to perform or did everything just come easily as the game went on for you? Yeah, um, I always put pressure on myself to perform, but I think the guys around me made it easier. Like we had some great talent. We just didn't win a lot of games my first year. Um, as a not knowing what a pro athlete does, I didn't know how to be a pro. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing as a pro. I just knew I was supposed to go out and make plays. That was it. Um, everything else was kind of in shambles, but you know, you just go through the process and you're learning bit by bit as you go. 
And I had a great group, Albert Connell, Wayne, and Salacio. Salacio was my, um, he was my roommate. He had, he had won the MVP in NFL Europe. He had played for Chicago Bears, played arena football. So he had been all over the place. So having a roommate that had been places that was willing to invest in me and help me through certain situations. And, you know, even him, he's like, man, Nick, you're a baller, you know? And, and when we're talking and we're laughing and we're joking and hanging out, and he's like, man, Nick's the man and all this other stuff. Like, there's so many people that could have turned me away that I'm not helping this person. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. They helped me. Uh, Wayne used to, he used to get upset sometimes and be like, hey, Nick, go return that punt. I'm in. Let's go. Like, because I was a punt returner coming out of college. I averaged 21-9 uh, my senior year in college as a punt returner. Well, so, you know, I think I finished third or fourth in the CFL and averaged 12-9 my first year as a punt returner with over 30 punt returns. So it was like, it was a good give, right, and, and take uh, with the people I had around me. He wasn't like, you know what, Nick's really good at this. I'm not going to let him go back there. Right, and there are people like that. Give me some of a uh, uh, man, man, because again, football size is big, man. Give me some of your uh, your favorite teammates, man, because I always hear some funny stories, man. Give me some of your favorite teammates who 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 you kind of click with right away, man. Well, that first year, um, I would say, you know, Salacio, uh, Stanford, and Wayne and in, in, in AC. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. Joffrey came in that year, but me and Joff didn't hang out until like 2008, like we never hung out. But in 2008, we started hanging out more and then we became roommates 2010 and 11. Uh, but before then, it's like we never hung out. Um, <laughs> and then 2005, when when Cope and Rambo and, and Marte Jenkins came in, that was my crew. Uh, Marte left after that year and, and Brandon Browner came in and Brandon Browner would always be with me, Cope and Rambo. And that was kind of the crew for the longest time. And then, like I said, when 2010 hit, when Cope left and, and Rambo had, was coming off his torn ACL, I hung out mostly Joffrey or Joffrey and Rambo and, and people like that. So um, didn't hang out with a lot of people. I mean, when I see people out, we would all hang out together. But, yeah, I've always kept my circle to, you know, three or four people, never really much more than that. But if we go out and I see you out, it's almost like we hung out every day. Yeah. Man, 2008 was uh, the first year you won your first great cup, right? Yes. Um, I've been very fortunate to go to two Olympic games, 2012, 2016. But before that year started, something felt different for me personally. What was the mindset going into that year? Was anything different? Did it feel different? Was the team different? What What do you think made that year so special? And what did it feel like to actually be at the top of the mountain, considering where you came from? You know, the funny thing is, is that I go back always. Kevin Garnett, after the Celtics win the championship in June, and he says, Anything is possible. possible. And he yells yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I felt like he was in my face. Like, as I'm watching this, I felt like he was in my face screaming to me that this is real. Wow. It wasn't that it wasn't just somebody on TV saying, you know, believe in your dreams, chase your dreams. You felt the passion. You felt like he was, I felt like he was talking directly to me. I'm in a bar, Classic Jacks. I'm, I'm looking at this and I can feel him speaking to me. Like even when he looks down, I feel like he looks directly at me. It was such an intense moment. And I was like, this is it. You know, uh, Huff had came in that year. We had a new receiver coach, Pete Costanza. Uh, I felt like we had the stability. And we brought in Brandon uh, Brandon Smith, Charleston Hughes, Juwan Simpson, Keon Raymond, all these other great players that we didn't have before that are now here. And yeah, it, it just worked out so well, man. It's just, but I always go back to that Kevin Garnett moment that really shifted something in me of how important it is to not just go out and play well and make plays, but to become a championship caliber player. 
man, in 2004, you guys went back and you did it again. Did it feel the same? Did it feel different? What was the second time like? Did it feel as sweet as the first time? Right? Because, you know, man, sometimes people say, hey, you know, I know in track and field, uh, if you ran fast, they'll say, okay, man, that's what's up. You know, that's cool. Right? But yeah. then I had a I had a person one time say, Akeem, if you don't run that same time three times or somewhere close to it, like it doesn't count. <laughs> right? So that yeah. second time through, man, how, how did that feel? Well, the first time uh, I went 11 catches for 122. The second game, I don't remember how many catches I had. I think I had seven or eight for 100. And we lost to Toronto and Toronto. Going into 2014, I was coming off a broken leg. I was coming off torn ligaments. Of, I tore every ligament in my ankle, tore the ligament that runs your knee to your ankle. They never thought I was going to play again from that kind of injury. Uh, I was in a lot of pain through the year. Uh, I missed five or six games that year. There was days I could barely walk through, walk through. And, and leading up to that Grey Cup, I approached that if it was the last game I would ever play football. Mm. And it's one of those things to where I didn't even take the team bus. I took the train uh, in BC, the Metro, from the hotel to the stadium by myself. Uh, I stood outside the stadium, looked at it, you know, shed a couple of tears and just understood the magnitude of it. But, you know, the most important thing for me was um, in 2008, I was the young guy. I was the playmaker. In 2014, I was the leader. I was the emotional leader. I was the physical leader. I was the person that could rally the troops. You know what I'm saying? So being a leader of men is always a different feeling. Right. I didn't I wasn't able to provide the spectacular show that I'd done the previous two great cups, but being able to go in there to inspire the other receivers, Mark Way McDaniel and and uh Mark Mo Price and, and Joe West and all these other guys that were part of the team and to be able to to, you know, we had a guy, DeMonte Bolden, who had been on he'd been on the PR or IR the whole year. And he's been frustrated the whole year about not having his opportunity, mm. right? To be able to walk up to him before the game, because we we had been talking throughout the year, and I've been telling him the whole year, you know, hey, just keep grinding, keep grinding. It's gonna come, it's gonna come. And now he gets an opportunity to go out here and play in this game, and to look him in the eyes and say, "I told you, your opportunity is gonna come." Now, what are you gonna do with it, mm. right? And to see the passion, but. You know, for me, it's about how do you pull that out of people, right? How do you how do you interact with the different people in the locker room from different places, different backgrounds, and be able to bring them together for a common cause? And to watch him do what he did and see Buddy Jackson go out there and play the game of his life and, and to see all these young guys do really well in a game that's magnified, it's almost like the father moment, right? So it's almost like it's a different perspective. Mm. It's, you know, from being just as, as a young guy, I wasn't a leader. Cope was the leader. Cope was our everything, but Cope was my roommate for five years. I learned everything from Cope. Yeah. Right. So for me to be able to experience that in that magnitude, I thought it was great. Man, you said something that, that kind of, just brought me back to what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation where your grandfather was like, don't be afraid uh, to be alone. And in that moment where you were all going to the stadium alone and you were taking moment by yourself, man, it's kind of like that same moment of isolation uh, helped you be what you needed to be for those around you. And so, man, Speak to me real quickly, man, um, before, before I close this out about for someone who is, you know, working towards something and maybe they're not seen, maybe they're the underdog, maybe they're not getting the appreciation or the respect that they think they deserve, man. Talk to me a little bit about preparing for an opportunity, even if you can't see the opportunity. Yeah, so one of the words you just said is deserve. I hate the word. You know, people, you'll play the game like, oh, we didn't deserve to win. 
Well, the other team made mistakes too. They didn't play a perfect game. So just that word gets thrown around about people act like, you know what? Bad things happen to good people. They don't deserve that. Or good things happen to bad people. Right. And for me, it's just about you have to focus on everything that needs to happen. And I always equate it to if I'm walking in this direction, a school of fish, it goes everywhere together. If I'm walking in one direction and somebody in my circle is walking in a total opposite direction, I'm never going to make it to my direction, to to my destination. Mm. You know, one of the biggest things that people have to understand, there's, there's friends and then there's tribes. Your friends are the people that support you to make it everywhere. Your tribe is people that take you to where you're going. Mm. Right. You have to separate the two. Like my friends, they supported me every step of the way that allowed me to do what I do. My tribe was my teammates. My tribe now is my advisory board, my executive team, because my friends can't help me get past our friendship. Mm. We'll all stay stuck in the same bubble because my friends will keep we all keep each other trapped. But now when I go out and find my tribe that's going to take me higher, I can bring my friends with me to enjoy it. But my friends can't take me there. Yeah. Right? My friends can't elevate me to that level. Right? So when it comes to training, when it comes to uh, with your mindset on where you want to go in life, it's truly about preparing yourself for your tribe. Yeah. It has nothing to do with anything else. Like, how are you preparing yourself? What are you doing to mentally withstand the hurdles of everything it's going to take? You got to take no's. You got to take, you know, just back to what I was saying earlier, the mountain. Are you prepared to climb the mountain? Mm. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Especially if there's clouds at the top of the mountain and you can't see the top. How are you going to keep climbing? When it starts snowing or rocks start falling, what makes you say, this is too dangerous, I need to go down? Or this is a comfortable place here for me to be? Or I did I did well enough? No, we, you got to keep climbing. You got to keep going. You have to keep attacking. And that's what your tribe does is help you get to the top. Your friends are the ones on the bottom screaming up, keep going, keep going. We believe in you. That's great. Right? That's, that's great advice, man. That's great perspective. Um, Most people just think their friends are supposed to take them places or their friends are, <laughs> you know, how many times, how many times you want to do something and you tell your friend and your friend's like, that's stupid. Or you can't do that. Or why would you be able to, or why, you know, your friends are always stuck in their mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you find your tribe, those are people that are going somewhere and now you add value to that tribe and they're going to take you with it. But if you don't find that value in yourself by being unique and, and being able to say, I, I don't need to fit in with my friends, my tribe, or I'm going to fit in with my tribe and I need to prepare myself for that. Last football questions, man, before uh, we get on over to what you're doing now, man. Um, just read some of these numbers, man. Uh, 1,051 receptions, 13,778 receiving yards, 71 touchdowns, man. When the Hall of Fame called, man, what was the first thought that came to mind? And what did that mean to you? First thought that came to my mind was my mother because she wanted it. She wanted it more than me. Right. Um I think everything that I did was to glorify my my family. You know, that you represent the name on the front of your jersey, but you also, you have to find so much power and strength in the name on the back of it. And, and that comes from my family. And to be able to have that moment is almost like a, a gratitude to everyone that sacrificed for you, from your family to your friends, everyone that from – me getting homesick my second year and my college roommate coming up for three months from, you know, different friends coming and and (laughs) hanging out and different things going on. Your family's always involved to 
the way I recovered from injuries, the way that my mom would push me and the way my dad would do things for me and, and just everybody involved. This is like the ultimate thank you to them because you're what you did for me allowed all of us to now enjoy this. And it's the ultimate, right? It's not me going in. It's like all of us, like we're all, a part of it. They're just going to use my baby picture as the face. <laughs> <laughs> man, it's uh it's 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 funny you say that, man, because in uh in 2016 when when we got the bronze medal, um one of the things that I was thinking about the most was everybody that invested in me. And it didn't have to be anything big. Maybe it was a, you know, a simple hello, you know, or sending you a message. A quote that always comes to mind, man, is a quote by Maya Angelou where it says, I come as one, but I stand with 10,000. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a lot of people investing in you, you know, praying for you when you aren't praying for yourself, you know, pushing you when, when you don't want to, man. So I, I completely understand that, man. And I mean, getting to the Hall of Fame, man, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, man. Uh, so congratulations to you, man. Thank you. Um, but let's shift real quick over, man, to what you're doing now, man. Um, AO Sports, athlete-owned content, man. Talk to me a little bit about that and why you wanted to go this path and start this. Well, just going back, you know, um, I've been a successful teammate my whole life. Um, I've, I've proven it at every level from peewee all the way through the pros. And getting into the real world, they call it, <laughs> um, after coaching and, and said I want to do my podcast, seeing some of the seeing some of the flaws and um, you know people are producing great content and there's a lot of flaws. There's not a lot of there's not a great way to monetize right now if you're going through Spotify and YouTube and all these other platforms. They'll make money because they have people putting out great content and other people listening, but they're paying out pennies. Yeah. Right. You you get 10,000 views on your on here. You're going to make at max five hundred dollars. And yeah. it's one of those things. But the, the average person is only going to make one hundred and fifty. Right. But it's it's one of those things. If you're not doing it on a day to day basis, if you're just doing it um, once a week or twice a week or, or whatever the case is, you're never going to be able to do it to the level that uh, you're going to truly monetize for the long period. And so I wanted to create a community where athletes can promote their content, distribute their content and make way more money. Right. It's, it's all about how we do this as a team, right? You put, you put your stuff on YouTube. It's like throwing it in the ocean. Good luck. Somebody finding it. We have mm -hmm. algorithms that work for you, not against you. Right. And we're, it'll be, you know, we have different levels of content from TV shows that you see on uh, ESPN, Fox Sports, and TSN and things like that. Uh, we'll have documentaries, reality shows, and, and, and other type of shows. Uh, but we'll also have athletes creating some co cool content uh, about their personal lives and things like that as well. So it's going to encompass everything. We have a section called um, AO Evolve, which is our training series, where we're going to get some of the top athletes in the world to teach the skills that they've used and that they do. Uh, we're we're partnering with some fitness trainers and some gyms uh, to train athletes and people to be better athletes. Right? We're gonna we have a pay per view portal where we're going to offer leadership talks and mentorship and all different kind of things and leadership boot camps. Uh, women empowerment, all different kinds of things that that you can only imagine of what we're going to do through this platform. But it's all going to be building a, a safe community for the athletes and in a fun community for the members that join the platform, because you're going to get what you want as a member because you're going to get great content. You're going to get access to the athletes and you're going to get um, access to so many of these exclusive things and exclusive merchandise. And, um, yeah, and it's all about having fun and being creative uh, and what you want to pursue. And, you know, you talking about the Olympics, I've already, you know, if you're interested, you know, I already have a place for you, man. If you want to do some Olympic coverage, 
that would just be a day-to-day coverage type of thing where you just talk about what's going on in the Olympics or talking to other people about it. And it's something we can put together and, and you can make a lot of money doing it. Day man, let's uh let's 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 connect let's connect and discuss, man. You know, being being away from it now and retired from it, you know, there's so many things that I'm just like, man, sometimes you don't realize the thing that's happening until you're out of it, right? So that's something we yeah. can definitely discuss, man. I definitely love to see how we can do that, man. Um but last five questions, man, uh aren't too hard. Uh they should be they should be decently easy, so to speak, man. Uh, All right. First question, man. If you were trapped on a deserted island for a week and you could only bring three things, what were those three? If I could only bring three things, I'd bring crown roll, <laughs> food. Or does the, does the island already have food? You gotta you gotta hunt your own. No, I'm gonna bring uh, abundance of food. We need Noah's Ark to show up with some food. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can do the hunting thing too good. <laughs> uh, and and then I, I don't know what the third thing would be. I'm just I, I definitely got a drink, uh, and I definitely need the food. But I need companionship too, so I'm I'm at to bring something. So we'll figure something out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a hard question, man. You know what? I'll bring. I'll bring. Uh. Some bad chick that can hunt. Yay, two for one special. Two for one special. Yeah. Question two, man. Uh, you know, I know uh, this is a different path. I mean, with the with the uh, with the AO Sports, you know, athlete, you would documentary, you do it yourself. But say Hollywood comes calling, man, and they want to make your documentary. Who is playing Nick Lewis in the movie? Oh man. Um... I always figured it'd probably be somebody like the who is the defensive end Julius off of uh Julius off of um what's the Denzel movie? The football movie. Uh, uh Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans. Hey, that <laughs> I see exactly what you mean now. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah, that's good. That's good, man. Uh question three. Um, in the locker room, you're getting ready to play, man. Were you listening to music? Were you, you know, listening to Mozart, that type of deal? Um, who was on your playlist, man? Um, it was, it was Adele, Beyonce, um, Kim. I listened to slow music. I listened to slow music because it was like, I understood why I was doing it. It gave me the passion of my family and, and everybody in the support. So one, doing the Beyonce dance and, and listening to stuff like that, joking around, hanging out. Uh, but, you know, ultimately listen to something that had substance and meaning Yeah, was ultimately the biggest thing. Uh, but then right before I went out, um, DMX, Ain't No Sunshine. <laughs> that was the last thing I listened to. <laughs> Question four, man. You know, uh, sometimes... You know, people say some say something to us and we may not understand it right away, but we get it maybe like, you know, a year or two or five years down the road. And we're like, man, I didn't know I needed that. What what was one advice in your life that you received early that you didn't know you needed until a certain point? Oh, man, there's so much. Um, I would just say just being unique. Um, just, you know, be yourself between, between be yourself, being unique or life isn't fair. Mm. Right. You know, I remember teachers used to always say life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. And you always can, if you're always looking for it, you can find things that aren't fair. Um, even in the sports world, some people are going to have more opportunities than others, but you know, life's not fair. And you shouldn't expect life to be fair. You should expect to just go out and be the best you can be. Um, and that's ultimately being yourself. Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, I remember telling someone the other day, a young a young basketball player, I was like, man, life has never been fair and it's never going to be. You know, I think uh, I think that's a great reminder, man. Last question. You know, with everything that you've been able to accomplish, man, 
from where you started to where you are now to what you're doing now, man, if there was one word to describe you, what would that one word be and why? Consistency. It's what my life been built on, right? I didn't, I wouldn't say I was the most talented person, but I was consistent. I was consistent in my effort, consistent in my attitude, consistent in my play, consistent in everything that I've, that I've done is, is just about being consistent. Um, and that's led me to the people to allow me to do what I do today. And that's ultimately the, the best thing is being consistent. That or competitive because I'm, I'm willing to challenge any situation. So, but consistency ultimately creates your life. If you wake up and you take a step in a direction every day, you're going to get there. Mm. Some days it takes longer. Sometimes it takes shorter. Right. So I, I would just say consistency and everything in my approach of, of how I approach life and everything else that I've done is just being consistent. Man, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Nick, man. Where can people stay in touch with you, keep in contact with you? I mean, I'll have all your information as well, too. But uh, where can people keep in touch with you, man? Yeah. So um, on Twitter and Instagram, it's uh, N-I-K-E-L-18. Nickel 18. Um, my Facebook is full, but I have a Lulu Logic um, group on Facebook. It's L E W L E W L O G I C, all one word. Uh, that group's a positive group. So if you post something negative, you're getting kicked out. <laughs> um, LinkedIn, Nick Lewis. And um, you can also uh, find me on AOSports.tv. And oh, just one thing that I'm going to drop real quick, but um, we're actually doing a with the hall of fame stuff. So we're, we're actually doing one of my partners, um, in my company, uh, we're partnering with his company called chip in, <laughs> which is an incentivized giving app, right? So you're going to be able to, it incentivizes people to give back and, and to help their community. And with AO sports, we're going to be able to help so many people in the communities. But right now what we're doing around the launch is, uh, we have this pot. You can go to AOSports.tv. And you can click the image, and that image is actually a frame, uh, frame that would go up on the wall. And it's there's two done of that. We're giving that away to anybody who chips in. Uh, anyone who has, oh, let me say this right. Anyone who chips in a hundred dollars has a chance to win that. Plus, they also get two uh, limited edition Nicholas Nation shirts, uh, along with other things. We're giving away NFL game tickets, um, gift cards, and different other things. So. Uh, being able to chip in and you get membership to AO Sports when we launch this summer. So uh, you can go and chip in a minimum $5 and get your first month of AO Sports uh, membership. So when we launch, you'll already be ready to go and, and be ready to take part in what's going to happen. Man, that's a steal. <laughs> that sounds like a steal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three, $15 gets you three months and a, and a chance to win some other things as well. Plus, we got some great discounts on some clothing lines and, and things like that. So uh, we're using Chip In to utilize everything we're doing. So when you pay your monthly subscription every month for AO Sports, you get a chance to win exclusive merchandise, and you'll get a discount from all of our sponsors. Wow. Nick, man, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the knowledge and the wisdom and just to walk down memory lane, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll be in touch with you. Um, about the opportunity that you just said a couple minutes ago, man. But thanks again, Indeed. my brother. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And and this is a truly an awesome interview, man. I appreciate what you do. Uh, you know, I get so many and it's always the same questions. This was great. I, I love I love change up. So this was a great one. So I really appreciate your your work and your effort and, and what you put into it. So man, I applaud you. I appreciate you, man. Thanks again, bro. We'll talk soon. All right, have a great one. Good luck to you. Man.